Please note, if you're listening to this, you must be 18 years of age or older. This podcast contains adult themes and may include descriptions that listeners could find offensive. Thank you. When I spoke, I had a chance to educate, and paradoxically, I became less of a freak. Kate Bornstein. Welcome to the Kinky Nerdy Polly Podcast. This is episode one. No, no, I'm super nervous. You're super nervous? No, don't yeah. be nervous. We're just literally just talking, right? Yeah, we're literally just talking. All right, so. So, G, tell me about yourself. Tell, tell me, all right. Well, I, God, I don't mm. know where to start. <laughs> what what do, I, what do I want to put out there for the whole world to listen to on a your history growing up on a farm, maybe? <laughs> My history growing up on a farm, working the imaginary cornfields, and, you know, just just waiting for the, uh, the dog park to finally be open to humans. <laughs> you know, your work on that imaginary cornfield did lead to, you know, imaginary corn muffins. Oh, yeah. Which did, you know, become very popular, and then we got the rise of imaginary pies. Yeah. And now we have imaginary pizza, so... Yeah. Thank you for that. (laughs) So I guess the things that are relevant to the podcast (laughs) and that are not related to imaginary (laughs) corn... I'm G. I consider myself to be a gamer. I consider myself to be kinky. And I consider myself to be poly. And we're going to go over all those terms over this podcast, which we have brilliantly called... Uh, kinky, kinky nerdy, nerdy and poly. poly yeah. KMP. KNP. <laughs> Let's see. I, I've considered myself to be a gamer since I was a teenager, though I was mostly playing video games at that point. And then I sort of, as I got, as I got older, I sort of transitioned more into board games. And now I play mostly board games. I still play the occasional video game. Although I found my, my taste in video games has drifted further and further away from like sort of mainstream AAA titles, with maybe like the exception of like third action, third person action adventure games. Kinkwise, I have been in the kink scene for about five years at this point. I got into the kink scene because a girl broke my heart. <laughs> We're going to have to hear that story at some point. Yeah, at some point. Much, much later on, after we've become a worldwide success, so that everybody can hear my heartache. (laughs) And then about a year to a year and a half after I was in kink, a partner and I decided to start experimenting with Polly. It was something we've been discussing for a while, both done a considerable amount of research about it and decided that it was the correct next step for us. And so I guess I've been poly for about four to five years. If the kink has been six years, yeah. So I think that explains my history in brief. G. (laughs) How about you, M? Do you want to give us the the Cohen of you? Yeah, so, well, I'm M, and I like going by initials, you know, because it's, like, kind of mysterious and... Also, it's kind of like gender neutral, and that kind of fits my my gender identity pretty much most of the time. So, M is pretty good for me. Yeah. So, I guess for you know our listeners, just give a little bit of background. I'm assigned female at birth. I just started transitioning in uh, December of 2017, and I sort of decided on that through you know the past six years, which kind of corresponds with my journey in the kink scene. I always felt a little bit weird with uh, being female identified, but I didn't really know how I felt weird about it. And I didn't find that terminology until I joined the kink scene, um, which as soon as I turned 18, I was like, I need to be part of this community. This is what I need to be doing with my life. And that was both for good and for bad. I think that there's some, you know, some positives to jumping right in and there's some negatives to jumping right into. So... 
overall, you know, I've been in the kink scene for about six years and I've been teaching pretty much after I got involved, I started teaching almost right away, became a kink presenter, presented at different kink conventions um, for different groups. And I also do some one-on-one teaching too. Um, So teaching is definitely part of kink for me. I'm a boot black, which is one of the first things I learned in the scene. And we'll talk more about boot blacking later, go into some more uh, details. But besides kink, I am also poly, and we're also going to be looking at what what that actually means. But for me, I've been poly probably longer than I've been really involved in the kink scene. And again, the kink scene just gave me the language for it. So I think ever since I was about 14, I sort of knew I had this capacity to love multiple people at the same time. And that I didn't necessarily want to value one relationship over another. So the kink community also led me down into the poly community. And now I have that terminology for that. I do have several, you know, uh, serious partners and play partners and all sorts of other kinds of relationships. So poly. And then I'm also a bit of a nerd and and a geek. And we'll talk about the difference between those things, I guess, if depending on if if you see that there's a difference between them. Yeah. So... I guess now that we've introduced ourselves, we can now talk about what the listeners are actually listening to. Yeah. So this podcast is the latest version of an idea I've had for a while of essentially combining sort of my three main identities into one thing that I could educate the world about. I initially thought this would be like a blog. I also thought about a YouTube series, but I didn't really want my face out there. (laughs) And then I started, I think about a month ago at this point, like I thought about M being a good podcasting partner. For whatever reason, I don't know. (laughs) And... I decided to ask M if they would like to start a podcast, and then M said, "Heck yeah, or something. I don't know, some equivalent to that. What did I say? I don't know." Uh, you said, <laughs> uh, "You said you'd been thinking about, you'd been talking with, you've been talking with X earlier, earlier about it, uh, like either the day before." Oh, uh, about podcasting. Yeah, about yeah. podcasting. So. And now we're here a month later, sitting in my closet. <laughs> yes. Uh, in fact, the amazing quote that led us to come into this closet is, uh, what was it again? So where are we going to do this? In your closet? <laughs> oh, thank goodness my closet is big enough to do this. <laughs> it is a pre- pretty decently sized closet. Yes. So this is a podcast that's going to be talking about these three identities, uh, the or subcultures, the kink, nerdy, and poly. And there's going to be a little bit of an education focus, as I sort of want this to be sort of an introductory conversation into these worlds, uh, so that, you know, if somebody has just finished reading Fifty Shades of Grey, they can hopefully find this and learn stuff that's better than Fifty Shades of Grey. (laughs) Yeah, I would say that the education is definitely important to both of us, so... Yeah. So now that we know what the podcast is about, I think it's time to define our terms, which is what we decided the first episode would be about. I think the first term that I wanted to define is subcultures. So, Em, what do you think a subculture is? What a wonderful question. We were, we were literally just talking about this a little bit earlier, so... Yeah. I feel like it's a it's a culture within a culture, which, you know, kind of is the definition, right? Yeah. And and that culture is still subject to the rules and regulations and kind of norms of the overarching culture. Okay. Because it's kind of housed within that culture. So whatever yeah. rules kind of apply to the large culture sort of apply to the smaller culture. And I think just what makes the subculture unique is that they might add on some things that the other culture necessarily doesn't engage in. So in this case, you know, if we were talking about the kink culture, there are certain like rules and regulations that are specific to the kink community, certain terminology, certain mannerisms, certain etiquettes that maybe people in the kink community might know that people in the general populace don't know. Yeah. 
Though I do think part part of being a subculture is breaking certain norms and rules that are part of the regular culture. Otherwise, it would just be the culture, right? You know, at kink events, you can just go around naked, and that's something that you can't do at a normal cultural event. Right, but it's still contrastive to that larger culture. So, for example, if the larger culture didn't have that rule about going around naked, then maybe we wouldn't even be remarking upon it because it would just be such a normal thing. So it's not necessarily that the subculture can't go against the norms. I think it's going to go against the norms in some sense, but it's that we can even say, like, we can be contrastive about it and say, like, why is the kink community, you know, doing this yes. sort of thing? Or why is it considered different from the overarching culture? Yes. I think it's also important to note that there are subcultures within subcultures. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, very much Inception-like. <laughs> so when we talk about sort of the broader either kink or uh, nerd community, that there are various subcultures within those communities. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's turtles all the way down. I'm sure there are even smaller cultures within, like, the subcultures. But uh, before we go full Inception, <laughs> let's go talk about the three sort of broad subcultures that we're going to be talking about. Okay. And we're going to go by the initials in the podcast, starting off with Kinky. So, M. What is kink to you? <laughs> oh, I've been thinking about this because it's a difficult question, right? Like, what is kink? And I think before we start even here, we should say that, like, everybody's definitions of these are going to look a little bit different. And it's totally okay if you define kink in a different way than we are defining it here. Correct. We're not here to gatekeep. We're just here to express how we view these things. Yes. In fact, I have a bullet point that explicitly says anti-gatekeeping. <laughs> Yeah, so it's important that we are not gate gatekeepers here. So um, by all means, take what you want from this podcast, but it's not the law of kink or poly or nerdy culture. Yes. So kink for me, I think, is anything that is going to be something that deviates from that the norm of the broader culture in terms of... I would say attraction interaction because I used to view it as being deviating from the norm in terms of sexual behavior. Yes. But now because I know like I'm also asexual and that kink is not always sexual for me and it's it's certainly not even sexual for people who are allosexual yes. or people who do experience sexual attraction. Um, and sometimes it's more sensual or sometimes it's about the emotional connection. And so I'm just seeing it as a bending, a twisting, a deviation of whatever that interaction, that attraction looks like. It's going to be kind of deviating in that way. Something that is different within a, a relational context. Okay. And for our listeners who may not know what allosexual means... I just defined it. Oh, okay. But you can go ahead and define it. So allosexual means somebody who is interested in sex. No, uh, no, no, no. Allosexual is someone who experiences what they consider to be uh, normal or typical sexual attraction. Okay. And it's a spectrum, of course. Yes. Like many things, it resists simplicity and is complicated. Very complicated. So now that we've talked, I guess for me, kink uh, sort of refers to very specific desires or wants of an intimate nature, if that makes sense. This is not, uh, admittedly, there are probably some people who don't play this way, but for me, like, I need to have, like, some sort of connection with the person that I'm playing with, no matter what I'm doing, whether that's, like, a boot stomping scene or a knife play scene. I'm doing something with a person. I'm trying to get a specific fo a specific reaction from them, whether that's fear or pleasure or disgust. You know, I'm trying to get something out of them, which you really can't get in other forms of interaction. Like you can't you can't go to like your book club and like make your friend afraid. <laughs> Right. Um, and of course, it's come down to consent, too, right? Yes. So that's very important. 
We will have probably yes. a whole episode dedicated just to consent. We'll probably have multiple episodes about consent. Yeah, so there's definitely something consensual about the nature of kink. Here. Yes, yes, there's a very... I don't go around... Uh, Making helpless, innocent <laughs> people on the sidewalk afraid. Yeah. Um, don't just go, like, start to hurt people, right? Like, yeah, it's... In fact, I, I, I have to have some form of, like relationship with them like even if it's just like you know we've been talking for a couple of days and we think we might be interested in each other as play partners i you know i would you know i it's for a very long time you know i was trying to figure out what what was the difference between what i do and like what a bad guy in a movie does and the difference is that you know i don't do it while I do it for pleasure, I don't do it to anybody who walks past me. I do it to people who are okay with me doing it to them and get their own form of pleasure from it. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that made sense. I think it did. Okay. Did we want to define a little bit more specifically like BDSM? Yeah, I think so. I feel like BDSM is sort of the gateway to kink, if that makes sense. Like, if people, I think if somebody, like, typed in kink into Google, like, the first thing would type, would, that would pop up would be, like, the Wikipedia, Wikipedia entry for BDSM. I think that it's an interesting linguistic note, too, here, because I feel like BDSM is dropping out of the lingo, dropping yes. out of the language a little bit, and kink is sort of really encompassing everything because kink kind of includes bdsm and other things yes you can everything with bdsm is is kinky but not everything that's kinky is bdsm and i i do agree with you that the sort of bdsm terminology is going away slowly and sort of people people are getting more people are starting to use the kink terminology more because it is more inclusive of the various things that don't necessarily fall into BDSM. And what does BDSM include? So by the strict definition, right, it's uh, it's kind of three components. So it's even though it's yes. four letters, there's actually three different components. Yes. And a lot of the times it's defined as bondage and discipline. Yes, the B and the, the D. And, the D. and then the D and the S are together also, and that's dominance and submission. Yes. And then we have the S and the M, which is sadism and masochism, or sometimes just sadomasochism, depending on your... Yeah, people. how you phrase it. How you phrase it. And oh. so that's kind of like, for me, that's kind of broken down into the bondage and discipline part is like a very specific act. Like bondage could be rope bondage, it could be leather bondage or however you want to see you know some kind of restraint yeah. the discipline could be relating to the specific act of positive or negative reinforcement for example and these types of things punishment and reward and all that mm -hmm. the ds being the dominance and submission goes into the power exchange or more of the formalities or the controls that are cha ex exchanging between people yes i feel like this is the this is the part that mm, well, no. I feel like both the D and the S and the S and the M are the parts that people are the most leery of. I think it's relatively normal in American culture to do something in the bedroom that's a little bit kinky, like let me get some pink fuzzy handcuffs or, uh, you know, let's do a little bit of role playing. I really think it's the the dominance and submission and the sadism and the masochism which sort of makes sort of normal american culture very leery of the kink culture though that is somewhat going away again thanks to 50 shades of gray <laughs> somewhat thanks to that yeah you know, although there is like a deep history with kink which of course could be again its own episode and therefore you're probably going to cut out everything i'm going to say okay but I also feel like gay male culture, yes. leather culture, including other like pansexual communities or even like, you know, we can look at other uh, communities and spaces that were tied to early LGBT scenes yes. that also welcomed kink and had yes. kink. And so it's not totally separate from. Yes, there's definitely 
there is definitely a rise of kink before the Fifty Shades of Grey movie came out, and I haven't I hadn't thought about it before, but you're right in that the sort of welcoming of alternative sexualities in the LGBTQ scene, I think, allowed that to sort of grow and flourish. In fact, I think a lot of these sort of imagery we associate with dominance and submission, you know, the whole black leather look came from the gay sort of leather culture, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, gay leather culture for sure. The whole sort of black leather biker look, which I am not into. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it is what I think when somebody starts talking about BDSM to, you know, a normal American, that's sort of the first image that would pop into their mind is somebody sort of dressed all in black leather. Although I guess now because of Fifty Shades, maybe now the kids... (laughs) I should rephrase that. Yes. Maybe now the... uh... Man, how do I put this into a... Maybe now the normal Americans? (laughs) No, but like the... Not the younger Americans, but I'm saying like these people who are just now discovering kink. Okay. Coming, The people who are currently coming into their kink identities. Yes. Maybe now they don't view... Maybe when they hear BDSM, they don't think black leather. Maybe now they would think of Christian Grey in a suit. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know if that's the image people are getting now these days when they hear BDSM. It could be. I have no idea. Um, Actually, that's a question for our listeners. Yes. We would love to hear from you about when you hear BDSM, like, is there a certain image that comes to mind? Yes, that would be great. If you have any questions, please send them to us. So, what is the scene? Which I think is separate from both kink subculture and BDSM. Um... Well, I'm curious now, since you just said you see that it's different from kink subculture. I mean, I feel like the scene is maybe... Oh, it's really hard to define, right? Like, for me, like, maybe what comes to mind is, like, going to munches and going to play parties and, like, sort of, like, your active community, your active... Yeah, I I imagine it as people who go out to events and who participate in person in the culture. I think there's a large portion of the kink subculture that just does their stuff in their bedroom. And it never leaves their bedroom. Um, that sounds, I would think that would be the norm. Yes. And then, you know, there are people who will do stuff online, but will not do stuff in real life. Uh, so I, when I think of the scene, I think of, like, activities that you actually go to, munches, and uh, play party events. And I think I've heard this term used. I'm also part of the hypno community, and I feel like people in that community often do things online. And so we might actually refer to, like, the online scene. Yes. For example, sort of different. You want to take the next one? About what is a fetish? Yes. Yeah. Fetish is a very interesting word. I think how I've heard it defined by people who are fetishists, and I would consider myself to be a fetishist with some things as well. Okay. It would be that a specific object or part of something... Or a specific, I would say even a very specific activity. Yes. Provide someone with some sort of sexual gratification. I feel like I would largely agree with that definition. And there there are definitely things that I have fetishes about. Biting is sort of the first thing that comes to mind. A very specific activity. So it's yes. not just, we're not just talking sadism at this point, which is sort of like a kink. Yes. Now we're talking very specific activity, biting. Yes. And you know, I, I get a certain amount of pleasure just from the act of biting someone. And for our listeners who are new to the kink scene, when I say biting someone, I do not mean I bite to break a person's skin. <laughs> I'm just putting pressure down and not breaking the skin because I've seen I've seen that uh, reaction sometimes <laughs> don't go around just biting off people's skin yes we would ask you to refrain from that there's there's a lot of 
consent and medical issues involved there. So please don't do that. <laughs> so when, I, when I'm talking about biting, I'm referring specifically to the act of biting someone to the point that it causes a certain amount of pain or pleasure, but never to the point of breaking somebody's skin. Which, for our listeners who are new to the kink scene, you can be surprised how much the human skin, how much human skin can take. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a lot. I have experienced it from the uh, bottom side. <laughs> and actually, let's just interject here. Bottom here refers to that I would be receiving the action. Yes. And if we refer to a top or someone who's doing the topping, uh, that refers to the person that's giving the action. Yes. And I thought it was important to interject here because we often refer to topping or bottoming. Yes. And I think it's also important to note that some people define themselves by these. Like, some people will define themselves in the kink scene as tops. Some people define themselves as bottoms. And some people will define themselves as switches, which is a person who will be willing to either top or bottom, depending on the scene. Or even switch within a, a, a singular scene. Oh, yes. There's been a lot of interesting wrestling, <laughs> wrestling switching scenes. <laughs> Do you have a particular fetish that you would like to talk about to serve as an example? specific fetish yeah i think that my specific fetish might have to be with boots which is sort of how i got into boot blacking oh yes um of course now i'm gonna interject with some boot blacking information boot blacking is the care and keeping of leather yes uh it doesn't have to be just boots we we work on vests pants toys whatever um and they don't just have to be black either so it's a bit of a misnomer Again, I think it carries over from the... It carries on from actually several different communities, not just the the leather community. Oh, okay. Yeah, we can talk about that more on another episode too. But um, So I kind of like the way that boots look a lot, and I would say that I fetishize them to an extent, and it's not that when I see them, I like instantly have an orgasm. I feel like... Yes. It's not even that it's a very intense feeling mm-hmm. of um, sexual gratification or attraction, but that when I see a nice pair of boots, I'm just like, hmm, that's nice. And I'm sort of, I just like the idea of these boots. doesn't matter. the. Per- I know it kind of sounds awful, but it doesn't really matter the person in the boots. Yes. I mean, I feel like normal American culture will has sort of acceptable fetishes, like... Uh, it is okay for men to fetishize breasts and asses. It's okay for women to fetishize, like, well-muscled. Muscles, def- yeah. And then I think there are sort of fetishes that sort of go in and out of vogue. Like, I think bearded men were in for a while. And I think now bearded men are sort of on the downhill trend of sort of attraction. Right. But, yeah. but that's just me sort of absorb- uh, uh, observing pop culture. But yeah, they're still like very, very normal, acceptable fetishes that normal American culture. I feel like I should come up with a better term than normal, normal American, American culture. Because there's really no such thing as normal American culture. Yes. For the for the average American, does that make sense? Typical. For the typical American, it is okay to fetishize like, you know, breasts or the ass or... I think even some people, I think it's fairly acceptable to like fetishize a woman's legs. I'm trying to think of other. Hair, I think, is another sort of acceptable fetish. I know there's definitely a fetish for like blonde women or redheads. Yeah, redheads for sure. Yes. Being a redhead myself, I am quite often fetishized. And it's not always welcome, right? Yes. That's another thing, too, is when it's somebody's body part specifically and American culture kind of says like it's okay mm-hmm. to do this. Yes. We get into a lot of, you know, unacceptable fetishization. Yeah. So. All right. So, I think we firmly covered fetishes. We did. And if our listeners have any questions, again, you can email us. Please email us. <laughs> I feel like we already covered We already covered this. We've already covered subcultures within subcultures. But it might be nice to just list like what some of the subcultures within the kink scene might be. Uh, right. would be. I think rope is definitely a subculture. It's a very big subculture. There's subcultures within that subculture. Of course, yeah. we mentioned that too. You have like ponies and puppies listed, but I think, you know, pet play as a whole can just be kind of grouped together. 
I mean, pet play can, but I feel like, like I've noticed very distinct differences between people who play as ponies and people who play as puppies, if that makes sense. Well, some some ponies identify as being within the pet play community and some don't. Yeah. And same with puppy play, I think, too. Yeah. And yeah, we've mentioned leather a couple of times, so I feel like leather community is can be considered a subculture, but again, there's that which came first, right? Yeah. So, like we said earlier, there are plenty of subcultures within the broader kink subculture. And I think we firmly covered the first letter in our podcast. Wow. Uh, Amazing. <laughs> and so now we'll go on to the second letter, which is the N for nerdy. So, M. <laughs> yes, G. Oh, G. I wonder how often you're... Boy, G. Is that a phrase? I, I don't think so. I think I just made that up. Yeah, I, th I think you just made that up. Uh, so, um... What? Jeez. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> so, um... Let's talk about the nerdy subculture. All right. I think my first question is, is... Is nerd still a subculture? Because I feel like it's pretty much part of the mainstream culture at this point. Though there are definitely people who identify with being a nerd or a geek more than others. I think we've sort of seen, you know, between the rise of tech companies and between and the superhero genre sort of taking over the cinema, sort of nerd and geek culture is now just a part of American culture at this point. So do you think it still counts as its own subculture? I would say that probably geeky community is still a little bit more of a subculture. No. So you see there's you think there's a difference between like being a nerd and being a geek? I think that it's up to the individual how they want to identify, but okay. I do personally see a difference between the two. All so right. for me, like nerdy is sort of like you know, uh, fandoms that I'm super into, video games, board games, um, that sort of thing. I didn't get to talk about earlier, like, my own interest in being a nerd, but for me, it's definitely more like, you know, video games and now, you know, slowly getting into the board game community. And it seems like those things are very mainstream, like you were saying. Yes. Pretty much, you know, almost everyone that I interact with can say that they play some type of game or that they're into some sort of fandom or they're into some sort of comic or they're into some sort of whatever. That seems to be pretty nerdy. And also, I kind of like your note here about, you know, people can be nerds for pretty much anything. Yes. Uh, so the bullet point that M was just pointing to is talking about John Green's definition of a nerd, which is somebody who loves something unironically and enthusiastically. So I feel like you can be a nerd about many different things. I argue most football fans are nerds for football. If you track your, if you're into fantasy football and like are tracking the stats of individual football players, like I think you're a nerd for football, and I think that's fine. Uh, Absolutely. I don't, I don't think anybody should use nerd in a derogatory sense, right? Because it's just I love this thing, and I don't mind showing my love for this thing. You know, I, you know, I love Star Wars. I love Star Trek. You know, there's so many so many cultural cultural things that I love that I don't mind showing that I love them. And I think it's very important, especially with some of the things that have been going on, to try to keep in mind that being a nerd is about showing love for a thing and not showing hate for a thing. Uh, hate because of a thing. Right. And uh, just because somebody else loves the same thing that you love uh, does not diminish the thing that you are loving. <laughs> right. Uh, I also think, like, uh, here, I'm certainly nerdy about kink. So uh, some of this plays into... Yes, I mean, part of the reason why I'm I'm doing this, uh, why I want to do the, something like this is because I feel like there's a Venn diagram of of people who are kinky, 
uh, poly and nerdy, and there's a large section in the middle of that Venn diagram. By well, large, I mean it is still niche, right? It's still like small. Yes, I mean obviously the the nerd part of the circle would be very large, very big. and the section that fit in the Venn di- in the intersection of the Venn diagram would be very small in comparison to the rest of the nerd circle. But I have, in my experience, like people who are nerdy are much more likely to embrace sort of the kink and poly lifestyle than people who are not nerdy. And I would say the opposite is true too. Maybe even if you're kinky and you're poly, maybe you are really into exploring new things and you're really into getting into new hobbies because that's sort of part of the kink and poly communities too. Yes. So there's this very large intersection and, you know, I definitely think there are people I can think of who are, who are nerds for poly and will go to polyamorous conventions and basically one of their primary identities is being polyamorous. Which is awesome. Yes. Now, what? so we've said that you can be nerdy about almost anything. If, if you really want, you could be nerdy about air traffic control patterns. What are some of the things that we in particular are nerdy about? For myself, I... Like I mentioned earlier, I'm really into board games. I have a lot of board games. I go to Gen Con fairly regularly, which is a large board gaming convention in Indianapolis, for listeners who don't know. I still like video games, um, but I do feel like my interest in video games has been waning over the years, partially because of like, the time commitment for video games. I think part of the reason why I like board games a lot now is there's a really nice social aspect to it that can be mixed in with the game, which I feel like is largely missing from video games. Though you can still sort of get that aspect of like, you know, playing like a game together, but I still feel like board games are better for that than a video game is. Movies, I, you know, there's a lot of movies I watch, especially the Marvel movies. I'm not as big a film guy, you know. I know some of the sort of important films, but I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm getting more into sort of looking at the editing and sort of understanding how a film is constructed only just now. But, you know, I love me some superhero films. <laughs> it's just nice to see, like, you know, superheroes going around and just saving the day. <laughs> Does it inspire you to want to go out and save the day? I think it inspires me to try to do the right thing. And I and I try to do the right thing like in my in my everyday life. You know, I I try to help people when I can. But you know, I try you know, I try to remember that it's okay to be a little bit selfish to take care of myself as well. Because, you know, if I just burn myself out, Nobody's helped by that. Deep stuff. Uh, yeah, we're probably going to talk about a lot of deep stuff. <laughs> books. Uh, I, I tend to read mostly uh, science fiction and fantasy books. And RPGs. <laughs> I'm really big into RPGs. Uh, for listeners who don't know, RPG stands for role-playing games. And it's essentially, uh, you get a group of people together to sort of play a game of, you know, like how kids used to play like banks and robbers as kids. RPGs is banks and robbers, but with more rules. Uh, Lots of rules. Lots of rules. Sometimes too many rules. Sometimes too many rules. And, uh, the rules are sort of there to just not have, you know, there was always that one kid that was like, you know, oh, I've got this laser. I'm going to shoot you with my laser. It's like, oh, I just happen to have this laser deflecting shield. <laughs> so the rules are kind of there to sort of make sure that everybody has a good time and sort of that there can be a sense of danger in the story that uh, happens in the RPG. I'd also consider myself to be a nerd about politics. I'm not sure how much about politics we're going to talk about on this podcast. Because that can be a very contentious subject, 
and can attract the wrong sort of attention. But I do, I do, I do read a lot of you know articles about foreign policy decisions, and I do pay you know close attention to sort of the political uh, political mood and political moves of the country and the people involved in those. And I could just keep on going, but I'm just going to turn the floor over to M and, and see what M has to say. Well, thanks, G. Uh, gee, thanks. I know. I'm just going to play on that so often. I'm, I'm sure I'll never get tired of hearing it. I will not. So I think I, I started a little bit earlier. I really like video games. Uh, that's sort of my main thing right now. I'm really into JRPG, JRPGs, which for listeners are Japanese role-playing games. And these are... A video game genre, which is separate genre, from the tabletop RPG. Yeah, separate from tabletop RPGs. And so I really enjoy those, specifically the Tales series. Uh, Tales of Vesperia is one of my favorite games. I'm really excited right now because they're finally releasing the like full edition that was released in Japan uh, many years ago is like finally coming to the United States. Um, so I'm like super excited. And then in terms of board games, it's where I'm just now starting to get into it. And honestly. There are too many rules for me sometimes with board games, (laughs) but I'm making an effort to learn and to try to learn more complex board games, even though it's very frustrating sometimes. I promise never to force you to play Twilight Imperium. Okay. I might torture myself to play that, so... Okay. As long as it's your choice, I'm never going to force it on you. Yeah. We're all about consent here. Yes. And uh, in, you mentioned RPGs, you know, role-playing games, and I've tried to play D&D a couple times, and I I have enjoyed it to an extent, but I think that the setting hasn't been quite right for me, so hopefully I'll be getting more into that in a bit of a different setting. Yes. Uh, in the near future. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, or is that, is that a future episode I think thing? that's a future episode, because I have okay. a lot of thoughts about it, and I feel like it's going to just... Yeah. Keep on, keep on keep coming. Going, yeah. All right. So then, I think you mentioned like movies and books. So, in terms of films, I'm not very nerdy about films. Okay. Uh, I have some films that I enjoy, but like you know, the superhero films. Okay, they can be good. There are a couple that I I have enjoyed, but they're not really my thing. Okay. Um, I'm way more passionate about reading and books. Definitely science fiction. Cyberpunk is a big one for me dystopian uh, genres tend to be the big ones. And I also like just regular old fiction. Okay. Just like simple simple stuff. About, about Farmer Farmer G. Farmer G. And his imaginary corn. And the imaginary corn. Yes. Oh, and I'm, I'm also a little bit nerdy about podcasts. So uh, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Alright. Uh, so I think that firmly covers the middle initial of our podcast title. So now on to the last initial, the P for poly or polyamory. So I feel like you're more qualified for this one than I am. So do you want to, you want to start us off on this? Well, it's hard to really give a strict definition. Yes. As we've seen with all of these. There is a long-standing joke that if you ask three people what the definition of polyamory... Three poly people what the definition of polyamory is, you will get five different answers. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yeah, that sounds accurate. (laughs) So for me, polyamorous really just means, like, literally many loves. It's having multiple consensual romantic, emotional, sexual, or, you know, etc. relationships. And they can be, they don't all have to be sexual. They don't have to all have to be romantic. They don't all have to be emotional. But many of them will have one or more of these qualities to them. And so it's different than being like a swinger. Because that's what I get all the time when I come out as poly. I'm very open as being poly. And a lot of people are like, oh, so you're a swinger. (laughs) Uh, No, me and my partners don't really exchange sexual partners. And swingers are totally valid. Yes. So I feel like the large difference between uh, swingers and the swinger community and the polyamory community is that polyamory community is about forming multiple relationships, while the swinger community is more about having multiple sexual partners and not 
actually trying to establish relationships, uh, emotional and romantic relationships beyond the sexual. Is that... Do you think that's largely accurate? That's kind of what I get. I think that some swingers might feel that they do form emotional bonds with the people that they swing with. Yeah. I think it's mostly just the duration and the kind of like the kind of activities that you might engage in from my understanding of being a swinger because I'm not one. Yes. There are somewhat separate spaces. Right. There are, there are certain there's at least one swinger club I know of that is separate from the kink club that I know of. So they're they're separate subcultures and they have separate spaces. Yeah. And I think that when we... Oh, the next question is, like, what is the difference between polyamory and cheating? That's, like, the next question. So the first thing I get is, like, oh, are you a swinger? And the second question I get is, like, oh, do your partners know? Yes. Do they know? Oh, my gosh. Yes, they know. All of my partners know about each other. Yes. <laughs> polyamory, I feel like no matter what definition you're in, definition that you are using requires a large amount of transparency and communication. You you date other people and your partner knows that you are dating other people and those partners know about each other. Whether they are friendly with each other or even know each other, that's a entirely separate question. But if you're polyamorous and you're dating multiple people, the other people know that you're dating other people. Yes. Yes. Um, so that's like a main difference between polyamory and cheating. Now, that's not to say if you are polyamorous, you can still cheat. Yes, because cheating is a violation of trust and boundaries. And in a normal monogamous relationship, the trust and boundary is that you are not supposed to sleep with other people. And or not have even not go on dates with other people. Not even go. Be. Yeah. No, don't even go on other dates with other people. And while that's not a clear-cut boundary in polyamory, you can still violate a boundary and betray trust in a polyamory relationships. Yeah, even if you agree, you know, with your partner that we're going to inform each other about all of our other partners, and then you decide, oh, I'm going to go have a partner, uh, and I'm not going to tell I'm, this specific partner, I'm just not going to tell my, part, my, my other partner about then that's, you know, still violating that trust. It's still cheating. Yes. All right. And now I think it's important to get to some of the terminology or jargon that poly people use, especially uh, metamore and polycule. So for me, a metamore, as I understand it, is it is your partner's partner. So if M has a partner X... I'm in a relationship with M, I'm metamores with X, and X is metamores with me. And I think that's fairly clear-cut. And a polycule, do you want to... Uh, no, you go. Okay. You go for it, G. A polycule is essentially just a interconnected group of poly people uh, who have relationships with each other. As you can imagine, this can get pretty complicated pretty fast because especially, you know, each person is going to have different relationships uh, with each other person and different forms of poly are also probably going to be involved because not, as we stated earlier, lots of people have lots of different definitions of poly. So polycule is just they're a large, large interconnected web, essentially, of relationships that are centered, you know, there's usually like a center group and then sort of relationships branch off from that center group, I feel like. Yeah, it's sort of almost like your family tree, except instead of a family tree, it's like a family web. Yes. And I think I think it's important to note that one of the reasons why these sort of poly networks form is that the because polyamory is a subculture, though I do think it's gaining more traction, I've certainly seen a lot of articles in various like the New York Times and Washington Post about it um, more than you know when I was a teenager it's still very much a subculture so the people who are willing to the dating pool or the pool of partners available in polyamory tends to be rather small and the same goes for for kink like 
it's I feel like I have a pretty good grasp of of who's in the city, who's in my scenes, if that makes sense. And so polycules tend to be there tends to be a lot of overlapping relationships. And then there is compersion. I feel like this is your specialty, M. So I would I would not do it justice. That's okay. Compersion is an amazing concept, and I feel like a lot of people, when they talk about polyamory, they're like, oh, don't you get jealous? They say the the J word, jealousy. Oh, there's jealousy. You must be jealous. Yes, there is jealousy that occurs within polyamory, and jealousy is a normal emotion. Um, and it is often indicative of something, you know, an insecurity or something in the person um, who's experiencing the jealousy that they can resolve normally on their own or with the help, uh, you know, of one of their... With a um, little conversation a little yeah, and emotional exactly. labor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, consensual emotional labor, of course. And But there's also this other concept, which is compersion, and we don't hear a lot about it in mainstream society, so it's important to hear it. And I really feel it on a deep level, and for me, compersion is its not really the opposite of jealousy, because you can feel jealous and compersive at the same time. But for me, it's that joy or the happiness that you feel when you see your partner being happy. And in this case, specifically with someone else, doing something else. Or you can feel happy knowing that they're going on a date with someone else. Yes. And this is a hard concept for people to wrap their heads around. But really, just think about it. Like, imagine if you're having a hard time with this. Imagine your partner eating that food they really love. You can just, like, see their face. Yeah. And they just get really... And you, and you just get happy just that get they're happy. so happy about it. Oh, my it. gosh. They're so Even happy. though you hate tiramisu, like, you're just happy that they're happy with the tiramisu. They're just loving chowing down on this tiramisu. Yeah. Tiramisu, as G says, but that's not how that word is pronounced. <laughs> so that's compersion. It's really that, that joy at seeing one's partner experiencing joy with someone else. Yes. And that is polyamory. And we've now covered... We've covered everything. We've now covered all three letters in our podcast title. And now we can actually start doing a podcast. Yeah. So I guess that's that's it for this one, right? Yes, that's right. it. And, you know, I guess we'll, we'll record another one in a couple weeks. If you'd like to get in touch with either myself or M, you can tweet us at KNP Podcast or email us at kinky.nerdy.poly at gmail.com. Well, if I ever wrote like erotic literature, I decided my pen name was going to be Gregory Tennant. Gregory Tennant? What uh, inspires that? Well, David Tennant, because he is an incredibly sexy man. And Gregory Peck, which I think is also an incredibly sexy man, though a different kind of sexy. I don't have opinions on sexy men. I don't find any man sexy, except... Jack Black. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about the Jack Black thing. Yeah, that's it. He's very sexy.